In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be free? Is doing what you like freedom? Is it making your own rules, setting your own standard, and establishing your own morality? Freedom means defining for yourself who you are and being your own master. It means throwing off others' expectations and following your heart. Only you can know what you truly feel. No one else can judge your feelings. And so you are free to define yourself, to make of yourself whomever and whatever you would like. And yet, nobody is in charge of his own life. His God is. Making your own rules, setting your own standard, determining your own morality, and declaring your own reality, people think that this is freedom. But that is a lie. For instead of freedom, this is the worst kind of slavery. It is, in theological terms, being your own God. Now, what is a God? A God is that to which you look for all good in your life. So can what you want satisfy your physical needs? Can being a slave to sin give you what you need? Any God who can't provide for your physical needs cannot be trusted for your spiritual needs either. Before they became Christians, the people of Rome thought they were free But listen to how Paul describes their former life. You presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. It seems like freedom to do whatever you would like, but that makes you a slave to your own desires. You live for your own pleasure, and your pleasure becomes your master. And your work and service to this master is never done. Your pleasure will never be completely satisfied. It always wants more. Living according to your own impure thoughts and desires is slavery. And so let's pick a sin, any any sin that you like. Taking God's name in vain, avoiding church, dishonoring parents, getting drunk, using foul language, not living a chaste and decent life according to God's order for marriage, lying, stealing, etc. Why does anyone do any of these things? Why would anyone curse his neighbor or set out to drink too much? Why would anyone tell a lie to get something that rightly belongs to his neighbor? Or why would he game the system to get free stuff from Amazon? 
Why do people engage in intimacy that God says is unclean and immoral? Why do people judge others harshly or become violent? Why do people insist on doing evil toward one another? Is it not simply that this is what their desires demand? Do they not do this simply because they want to? It seems like freedom to do what you want. In fact, it even feels that way too. You have the power, you call the shots, you decide what you want to do. But why does anyone sin? Why do you sin? Because the sinner is only doing what he desires. You sin because that is what you want. Living in sin means living under a tyrant. Doing only what you want makes you a slave to your own desires. Though it feels like freedom, the person who lives this way is a fool. He does what he likes doing, but it turns out that what he likes doing so much is being a slave. Living in service to sin means being under its power and in its bondage. Sin doesn't lead to freedom. Sin only leads to more sin and more slavery. And then, above all, this slavery leads to death. Only sinners die. And you know how this works. Death is the end result of your sins. At the end of your life, you die. But we don't really like to think about that. We'd prefer to ignore death and pretend it doesn't exist. Some know that the church will tell them about death, and so they avoid the fellowship of God's people. Some know that they could die if they get sick. So they hide away in their homes, hoping that no disease will find them there. We are told to put our dying family members into nursing homes, keeping their impending death away from us. And then even when a loved one dies, we work to make their lifeless body look alive. But no matter how hard you try, no matter how you try to shield yourself from the appearance of death or from his advances and how hard you try to pretend he doesn't exist, death will eventually find you. Death will stare you in the face. That is the reality of this world. Supplies run out, food spoils. That large kitchen appliance you know as a fridge helps keep food good, but it only lasts a certain amount of time. And so that appliance we might better call a morgue, the place you keep dead things. And so that means when you see moldy leftovers or you find that your milk has gone sour, 
God is reminding you of your dependence on him. He's showing you the fruit of your sins. He is setting death before your eyes. You cannot escape. And even more than that, according to St. Paul, death isn't just something that happens at the end of this earthly life. Notice what he says. What fruit were you getting? In other words, death is the natural result and present tense fruit of sin. Following sin means your death, body and soul. That means that the one who is a slave to sin isn't going to die. He's already dead. He thinks he's alive because he's doing what he wants, but he's dead. Or from Ephesians, you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were the walking dead. That's why God could say to Adam, in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. In your eating, in your sin, you will be dead. This is the life of supposed independence and freedom, slavery to sin, and a harvest of death. Sin isn't stuff that you get to do. Sin kills you. Sin makes you dead. Now the people in today's gospel are in danger. Everything we know about them from the context leads us to believe that they were pagans. They lived the life of independence from God. Now they are in a desolate place. They have been with Jesus for three days, and now they are hungry. There is no food, no storehouse of grain, nowhere to plant and grow crops, if there had even been time for that. If Jesus sends them to their homes now, depending on their own might and relying on their own resources, they will faint along the way. Really, Jesus is saying that if they are left to independently provide for themselves, the people are going to drop dead on their way home. Death is knocking at their door. Death is staring them in the face. Death will come for them because they are sinners. And yet, Jesus will not abandon them to their independence. He will provide for them. Though no one complains of hunger to him, he opens his hand and fills their stomachs. He blesses without their input because he loves, because he cares. His compassion moves him to leave his father's throne and to take upon our flesh in order to die. And yet here, Jesus has compassion, not just because sinners need redeeming. Jesus is compassionate because people are hungry. 
From the very depths of his being, he loves all mankind. And he doesn't want to see anyone die. And so Jesus is able to feed them. He wants to feed them. And he will feed them. Now, if, however, these 4,000 had wanted to keep up their practice of being independent, and they refused the gift that Jesus gave, then they would faint on the way home. They cannot provide for themselves. They must be given to. They must receive. On their own, they are dead. And so they must give up their independence. There is no other bread to give them life in that wilderness. No matter how hard they worked, how much they toiled, how much sweat poured off their heads, their physical lives would end in starvation. There is no other source of sustenance in that desolate place. There is only one way to physical salvation. Jesus must provide for them. They must receive the bread that comes from Jesus' own hand. They must take and eat. So Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and broke them. He gave them to his disciples, and they set the loaves before the crowd. And the people ate and were satisfied. St. Mark wants us to know that all were, as he says, filled Now, this term here isn't just a snack to curb one's hunger. The idea here is a Thanksgiving meal that leads you to push your seat back, loosen your belt, and to sigh with pleasure. You aren't just satiated. You are completely satisfied. And you need nothing more. On this occasion, Jesus satisfied the physical hunger of the multitude. And this is no less what Jesus does for you every single time you eat. He opens his hand and satisfies you. With each meal our Lord gives to sustain your body, he also wishes to remind you that he desires to feed your soul as well. Jesus has compassion, and his compassion moves him to act. Being a slave to your own desires means serving a God who has no compassion. And so the life of dependence upon the true God is a far better life than the life of independence. This is what St. Paul has in mind when he talks about your new life. Sin pays off in death, he says. That was your old life. And then he uses two of the most beautiful words here when he says, but now. But now, as we discussed last Sunday, your old life has died with Christ, buried with him in baptism, and you are raised with him in a new life.
this new life in Christ is one of true freedom. You have been set free from sin, free from the slavery of sin. Now you do not live under a tyrant, but under a compassionate Lord. And so Jesus this day once again invites you to be dependent, to not depend on your own toil and sweat, to not submit to the desires of your flesh, to rely on him, his work, his kindness, his food, his gifts, his forgiveness. For today, Jesus invites you to his feast. Hear the words of this hymn. In Jesus I find rest and peace. The world is full of sorrow. His wounds are my abiding place. Let the unknown tomorrow bring what it may. There I can stay. My faith finds all I need today. I will not trouble borrow. To me, the preaching of the cross is wisdom everlasting. Thy death alone redeems my loss. On thee, my burden casting. I, in thy name, a refuge claim from sin and death and from all shame. Blessed be thy name, O Jesus. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. In the peace of God, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.